Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast, episode 39. This episode is guest hosted by Emily Zimmerman. She talks with her peers, Jill Hoover and Audra Sterling. This is a special episode because I've called Emily, Jill, and Audra peers and friends since we were in graduate school together way back when at the University of Kansas. In this episode, we discuss, they discuss peer support. Though they focus on peer support in academia, their insights still hold for other employment settings you may find yourself in, like school, private practice, or a hospital. And I'd also say their discussion applies to peer support in life outside of work. For example, I've personally benefited from their kind and constant peer-slash-friend support while I went through cancer treatments this year. In fact, I stopped packing for a camping trip to record this introduction. I'm camping with Emily and Jill and our families. We're fortunate enough to live nearish each other in Massachusetts, and we have kids around the same age. In this conversation, Emily, Jill, and Audra talk about the importance of authentic peer support throughout your career. And they note if you don't have peer support, you can and should create it. They also highlight the benefits of interprofessional peer support. This is the last of my guest hosts' episodes, and I've really enjoyed listening to each one, and I hope you have too. This may be something I need to continue to increase the content, spotlight these amazing guest hosts, and give them a platform just to try out podcasting. Thanks for your continued support through this wild and wacky year of COVID and cancer. I truly appreciate you so much. Now, this is the part of the introduction where I remind you of our website and our resources. So check out our website, www.seeherspeakpodcast.com to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content, read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about our guests. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Hello, and welcome to the See, Hear, Speak podcast. My name is Emily Zimmerman, and I will be your guest host today. I am an associate professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at Northeastern University in Boston. I am also the director of the Speech and Neurodevelopment Lab, where we examine infant feeding development and its association with neurodevelopment and environmental exposures across patient populations. Today's podcast will focus on the importance of peer support. We have two fabulous guests with us today to discuss this topic, Jill Hoover and Audra Sterling. Before they introduce themselves, I want to thank the See, Hear, Speak podcast founder and host, Tiffany Hogan, for the opportunity to guest host today. Jill, why don't you introduce yourself first by telling us more about your background and your current position? Great, thank you, Emily. I am very grateful for the opportunity to be here today um, because I am a huge fan of the See, Hear, Speak podcast and of Tiffany Hogan, of course. Um, My name is Jill Hoover and I'm an associate professor in the Department of Communication Disorders at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where I also serve as our department's graduate program director. I also direct the Sounds to Syntax Lab where we study the interfaces between language domains like phonology, lexicon and morphology, and what that means for preschool and early school age language acquisition and disorders. Great. Audra, can you please tell us more about yourself? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Emily, and the fabulous Dr. Hogan. 
Um, and I'm excited to talk about this topic because mentoring and peer support is something that's been so important to my career. So this is a fun topic. Um, I am an associate professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders and an investigator at the Wasteman Center at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And my research program is focused on language and cognitive development in children with neurodevelopmental disabilities. Wonderful. So I'm so happy to be joined by both of you today. You are both colleagues and friends and it's full disclosure that the, th the three of us went to graduate school together along with Tiffany Hogan, uh, all around the same time and in the same department. So we have a lot of shared experiences um, surrounding peer support at at least the graduate level, but then, you know, have very different experiences as we've moved through um, various stages in our lives. So we'll share relevant stories um, as, as we kind of touch point at different time points. Uh, so also as we get started discussing our theme of peer support, I want to say that we are primarily discussing this topic through the lens of academia. And this is because we're, this is where we've spent most of our time professionally and through our careers. Though I do wanna say that many of the same ideas and discussion points can be applied clinically uh, as well as in various settings. So let's first begin by defining what we mean by peer support. So Jill, what is your definition of peer support? So when I think of peer support, I, at the broadest level, think of support that can actually be either formally put into place. So it's something that maybe you have sought through a program that already exists. Um, but I also think it can be really informal and you can kind of just pick up peer networks um, as you navigate your way through life. Um, I've benefited from both of those and I think both are equally good and equally effective. Um, I think that peer support is something that should evolve over time, um, either in terms of its purpose or the composition of the peer support network that you have. Um, but critically, I think that peer support should feel for everybody like it is a safe space where you can be vulnerable and honest about what you need support for without having to worry about what others might think about you needing that support. And I think it's most effective when you feel like you can be your authentic, true self in your support network. So really getting honest and real with that network. Wonderful. Those are really great points. Um, Audra, would you say your definition differs from Jill and, or perhaps what would the opposite of peer support be? I think Jill's definition was fantastic. I mean, the only thing I'll add is that, um, you know, I mean, we often get mentorship throughout our lives and our careers from people who are significantly more advanced in their career than we are. I mean, that was the model I had for sure in my grad school and postdoc. And I think of peer mentoring and support as being someone who's in a pretty similar either life stage or um, professional setting that I am. So perhaps a fellow professor who's in, you know, a pretty similar place or even at the personal level, um, I'm a mother of two young kids. And so seeking out peers who share, you know, the same kind of experiences that I do instead of, you know, someone who is perhaps a bit more advanced in their career. The opposite of peer support, I 
I was thinking a lot about this and I, I think, you know, I've been very fortunate that I haven't encountered this a lot, but I think there can be a competitive aspect to grad school or professional positions. And um, while I think competition can be great and healthy, if it's at the expense of someone's maybe mental health, that can be really difficult. So for instance, I remember when I was in grad school, um, sometimes people would brag about like staying up all night or, you know, really kind of come down on you if you would say that you had done something fun. And I don't think that's a healthy peer support model. Instead, you know, it's celebrating all different aspects of your life and helping you to move those forward in a healthy way. You know, and I think uh, with both the definitions and even the alternative to peer support that you both have mentioned, um, pointing out that, you know, I guess other alternatives in our field could be support from a superior or a mentor. Um, and that typically involves a hierarchy. So, you know, with, with peer support, we're hopefully stripping away that hierarchy. And, and as you both said, being fully supportive of, um, you know, the various aspects or the anxieties or, or the problems that are being presented to your peer. Um, I think the best way to talk about peer support uh, is at various levels or time points as the models for peer support change immensely throughout an academic journey or a, or a clinician's path from you know, graduate school to CF and, and so on. So for instance, the peer support you might need in graduate school may be very different for someone who's on the tenure clock. Uh, so let's start from the beginning. Let's start from graduate school. So Jill, why don't you tell us about the peer support network or experience that you had during your graduate program? Sure. Um, so I think I'm going to focus on the peer support that I benefited from during my PhD program, um, rather than my master's program, just because it's the most salient in my mind and um, certainly lasted longer than my master's program uh, did. So, and it's still going strong, this peer, su peer support network. So um, I earned my PhD from the child language doctoral program at the University of Kansas, where I was mentored by Dr. Holly Storkel in her Word and Sound Learning Lab. Um, and so for those of listeners who don't know about the child language program, this is an interdisciplinary doctoral program where training incorporates language acquisition and language impairments with developmental psychology and linguistics. So because of that program's interdisciplinary nature, I actually feel like my peer network at Kansas was quite large. Um, so I became very close to many of the doctoral students in speech language hearing sciences, which is how I met Emily and Tiffany. But I also became really close to PhD students who were studying linguistics and psychology, which is kind of how I met Audra. I met her in other ways too. Um, but over the years of that graduate program, you know, we all, many of us became very close to each other, um, just as friends and supporters. And I feel like we really relied on each other, um, for many different reasons. You know, the reasons that you might expect in graduate school, like, um, having some friends listen to a practice talk that you're giving, um, or maybe reading over sections of a paper, but then other like invisible ways of that we support each other, like encouragement when you're feeling stressed out or frustrated about something during your, um, during your program. And 
And really that network that I created during my days at Kansas, they're still my network. Um, and, you know, I really think like these are my people and like you two are part of those people. Um, so certainly the support that we provided each other in graduate school has totally changed as we so continue to support each other now. But I think the important thing is that we made this network when we were graduate students and it didn't dissolve once we earned our degrees. It has evolved over time, which is what I spoke to when I thought about like, how do you define a peer network? Um, so <clears throat> I was thinking about this and if, you know, for any listeners who are thinking about going to graduate school, whether it's your master's program or your PhD or whatever it is, maybe in a different field, um, I think it's really important to like find that peer network and find one who you feel like you can show your authentic self to, because if you can do that, you are really building a network that can stay with you for the rest of your life. And I think that we don't always think about that when we're first starting something new, like graduate school. And, you know, Audra brought up this idea of how competition can feel kind of like the opposite of peer support. Sometimes I think in graduate school, that competition that you feel with peers is, an, is I don't know why, but it's like a natural feeling. But I guess my advice to listeners who are about to start this part of your life is set that competition aside and, and really look at your peers as like, you're all going through the same things together. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's, I mean, most of my support was informal. There were a few formal peer networks that we had at Kansas and Emily um, and Audra, you, I think you, well, you both were part of these as well, but um, we had a graduate student organization. I don't know, Emily, if you were part of that, it was yeah, speech engineering and child language. Yeah. So we, you know, students came together, graduate students came together on a regular schedule where we kind of were like, I think mostly navigating issues in higher ed, um, professional issues. Um, but then we also had the child language pro seminar, which I know Audra was a part of. That was a requirement for anyone in the child language doctoral program. Um, and, you know, that was kind of a nice support network in a little bit of a different way because it was students, but it was also faculty. Um, and, you know, that was kind of like always our first um, audience for giving like conference presentations. And, you know, sometimes like we would walk into those practice talks and, and be a little bit nervous from it, but really that audience was there for us um, to support us before we went, you know, to give a talk to strangers or whatever. Um, so those were kind of my memories from, from graduate school and what support looked like there. Audra, do you have um, different peer support models or, or ways to expand upon what Jill has laid in her uh, foundation for graduate school peer support? I love that Jill brought up the idea of don't be afraid to look for peer support outside of your immediate department. So, I mean, that's how I found my peer support network in graduate school. So I, my degree is actually in the um, cognitive psychology and my interests were just so different than many of the other psychology students. And there was a lot of turnover in the psych students as well when I was there. So a lot of people who either changed course or decided that grad school wasn't for them. And so I was fortunate enough to get involved with the child language program and it felt like such a good fit. And we all shared, you know, similar interests and a passion for working with kids, but comment came at um, our research questions from a slightly different angle in our training. And I think 
that was a huge compliment and really helped me forward my thinking and my research. And then also just turned out to be a great thing for me personally. And so um, one thing I remember from grad school, and I try to talk to the students that I work with now about this is, you know, it is hard when you're in grad school and you're all applying for the same awards or scholarships or training grant positions or jobs, or, you know, from a clinical master's, you're applying for similar CF positions, but learning how to celebrate your peers successes alongside them in a truly genuine way. It's just such an important part of that peer support network. And that's where I knew that I had found the most amazing group of people because they could be genuinely happy for me when I did well, and then help me think about how I can reframe things when things didn't go well. And so um, I think that's just such an important thing to find. And I know that not everyone has that experience where you walk into grad school and there's this ready-made peer support network for you. And so sometimes people have to work pretty hard to find that. And so looking outside your department or even sometimes looking at other universities, you know, maybe you're a part of um, the ASHA network, you're, you know, deeply involved with them or some other sort of network and you're connecting with people on different levels. I know some of our grad students will get pretty involved with um, WISHA, which is the Wisconsin State Hearing Association, and they have some mentoring um, support networks for peers. And so sometimes it's also finding people maybe like at a conference or something that um, are in a similar stage to you, if that's not readily available to you within your department. And it's I think that's, oh, I was just going to say, I think that's a really great and important point. What happens if in your graduate program, there is no built-in peer support? And um, I have a doctoral student, for example, right now, who's in more of a um, motor-based rehabilitation PhD program, which she has her peer support system there, but it doesn't necessarily um, set her up for the same peer support that we had at our graduate program um, in the sense of like, she'll see these, these peers at ASHA every year, et cetera. Um, so how do you think you build a peer support model? And Audra gave some really great examples of ways in which you can look outside your department um, and you know, get involved in various organizations. Jill, were you going to add on to I was that gonna, a bit? Yeah, just really similar to your experience with your current student, Emily. I also have a PhD student um, here at UMass, and our doc program is very small. Um, and so I really feel for her because she doesn't have this like built-in um, you know set of peers in her department like I had. Um, but she has been really, really proactive in looking outside of our department in other areas of the university. And so at UMass, we have a really great um, office of of professional development. Um, and they offer all kinds of really innovative, important programming specifically for graduate students. And my doc student has made a point of like going to all of those programs that are relevant to her. And that's how she's built her peer network. So Emily, as you say, like she has a peer network. They're not going to be the people she sees at ASHA every year, but it's still a peer network. And it doesn't have to be the people who are doing just what you do. It's the people who you feel safe with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, at some point along uh, my academic journey, I remember um, someone telling me, you know, 
the mentorship or the peer support you want is the one that you seek and the one that you create. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, even beyond peer support, when we talk about mentorship too, you know, if, if, um, you know, you're not happy with your model or what is given, what could you build and how could you create it? And I would push people to kind of think along those lines too, um, to be like, how could I push myself at that next conference to, you know, meet, meet someone who, you know, is studying the same thing, maybe at another university and I could start to build that support or create a club or a journal club or um, whatnot. And I wanted to also say, so in my, in my graduate program, similarly to Audra's story, I'm, I'm, was more of a focus on neuroscience and, um, you know, neuroscience and speech and feeding. So I wasn't part of the child language program. Uh, but oddly, I met Jill and Tiffany in Dr. Storkel's lab when I was working as an undergrad hourly student. So that was a wonderful experience, which then connected me, of course, to Audra um, and many other University of Kansas colleagues. But, um, you know, I had a really large lab that I was a part of and some of some of which continue to do research in science and some of which don't. And these were all really uh, close peers that I had. And I think um, an important thing to remember and you know, many of which I'm still friends with today is that you, you build this peer relationship on friendship. So even if you know, someone leaves academia or somebody you know, goes to industry or, or takes different paths or decides to you know, be a stay-at-home mom or whatever, I think it's really important to remember that you know, this peer support is built in a foundation of trust and friendship and not necessarily like the clinical outcomes or the, you know, how many papers or any of the academic metrics that we are um, always seeking to achieve. Um, and, you know, I also did my master's at the University of Kansas and, and continued to be, you know, close with some of the people that I, I did that program with. And, um, I think that's a very strong program across those, those programs across the nation at building a really strong peer support clinical network for um, individuals. So before we move on in our, in our journey through uh, the next phase, which is postdoc, do we have anything else we wanna add about kind of graduate school peer support systems? I think one thing I wanna say, and I know um, that we'll touch on this again in a bit is um, grad school is really stressful and hard. You know that the master's program is tough. And I see that in our students now, you know, the demands that we place on them. And the PhD is a long, hard program. And so there are gonna be times when you're feeling really stressed out and there are often mental health issues that can arise. And so, you know, it's so important to have people that you trust that you can talk to about that piece of it as well. You know, I'm struggling. I don't know if this is right for me. I definitely had that during grad school where I thought, you know, am I in the right career? Is this the right move? And that's such a normal, healthy thing to think. And it can be hard though, to say those words out loud or like I'm struggling or I'm having a hard time or this class is hard. And so that's another important thing to think about with this peer network is that, you know, it is, as Emily said, not just about number of papers or clinical outcomes or report writing. It's also 
I'm having a hard time or I'm going through this in my personal life. And I think that's a theme forever with peer support, but grad school can just be a really challenging time for some of us. Absolutely, Audra. That's such an important point to make. And I feel like, I think I just said this to you the other day, there's the term, like the story you tell yourself in your head. And it's like, if you don't have a peer support network, um, you can like really spin your wheels in your head with, is this right for me? Am I, am I doing this all wrong? But like, if you have that person that you can express those things to, there is usually a solution, um, you know, that, that comes about from your peers. And so that's why it's just so critical to, you know, we, we all feel that stress and, you know, talking about it is scary and it's hard to admit you're feeling that way, but once you rip that bandaid off and share it, the outcome is usually positive. Right. For somebody else to say, yes, I have imposter syndrome too. Right. You know, like to commiserate <laughs> with you and say, I felt, I felt that way, you know, a month ago or last year in this class or whatever. And just to know that you're not alone, that can be a very powerful thing and easier. I think often, maybe not always, but to talk to you with a peer versus you know, a supervisor or a professor or somebody who has a bit more of a supervisory role over you. And as like a, now, as I um, am a professor and, an, um, you know, advisor and a mentor, I do try really hard um, to share with my students that I had these feelings of stress too, because I think, you know, when you're a student, you don't think your professors ever felt this way. You're like, they never had imposter syndrome. They never found it hard to find a writing time. Like it was all easy for them. And so now I feel like it's my responsibility on the other side to really listen to students and be like, oh, I remember that feeling too. And it really sucked. <laughs> and, you know, this is how I got through it. So I think that's important for those of us who are mentors and teachers to hear that message message. I completely agree. And I think that that's what is like so magical about the peer support, because I think, you know, that hierarchy between mentor and mentee is stripped. Um, in one of our resources, we are going to share a nature article that's called using peer support to improve well-being and research outcomes. And, um, in this little article, you know, they talk a lot about the worries about talking about sensitive issues with mentors. And of course, like we've all been there and all been anxious about this and all been worried. And I think that peer support model um, really helps to reduce the anxiety, gives you that community and um, group where everyone can have their shared experiences. Um, and then in this article, they also highlight that doctoral students, and I would also say master students and undergrad students, students in general, and even faculty, can ask what support is available for mental health and well-being. And I think, you know, just having those conversations, like I was on a meeting the other day uh, with a doctoral student who's in the final stages and coming to Northeastern for a postdoc. And, you know, I was of course like, how's the dissertation coming? <laughs> like the worst question ever, of course. But I, I mean, I was trying to be helpful. And then this other person on the call said, that's really, you know, I, it's two steps forward, one step back, of course, but really importantly, how are you, how are you incorporating self-care? And mm -hmm. I was like, I love that. You are so cool. And I am the worst <laughs> because I said the opposite thing. And so I was like, it's just a, a nice reminder to, to ask those questions. Cause we, I've all been there and, you know, know how horrible that question is. It's coming along, you know, piecemeal, whatever, <laughs> but 
I think saying, you know, um, how are you incorporating self-care? And I think similarly to the comments that both of you have made, like as a professor now, you know, making sure that um, the students that we support have that peer network to say, you know, you need to create that community for that mental health and well-being. It's so, it's so important. All right, so let's continue on our academic journey here to the postdoc time period. So um, all of us here on this, on this podcast have completed a postdoc and we know that this position is very different than graduate school. So now as we think of shifting peer support to a new environment, likely a new state potentially with new peers, maybe even a new country, how did you both navigate this space? And also important questions to consider throughout is really who is responsible for this peer support system as you change settings and environments? And Adra, I'm gonna have you take the lead on this question. Great, okay. Well, I came to the Wasteman Center at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for my postdoc, and then I never left. <laughs> and I moved here by myself. I did not come with a partner. And so that was a very big change for me to leave Kansas and move to Wisconsin where I didn't know anybody and start the um, postdoc. I'm sure many people can relate to moving to a new school or job solo and it's exciting, but it's really scary and hard. And so, um, I was very lucky though, that the Wasteman center, I came to do a postdoc on a, it's called a T32 training grant. So it's a formal grant through the NIH that supports postdoctoral trainees. They also have them for pre-doctoral trainees, but um, this one was ju is just for postdocs. And the Wasteman Center has done a beautiful job of maintaining this T32 training grant and setting up a built-in peer network for all the postdocs. Now, I'm sure that if you talk to every postdoc who's ever done this T32, they're not going to say the same thing that I did, but I was very lucky. I came in um, there are always four postdocs. So it's usually each person does a two year position. And so there were two individuals that were a year ahead of me. And then I came in with another individual and our offices are all right in a row. And we have a couple of formal activities that we're supposed to do every week. And so immediately I felt like I had this built-in network which was really nice because I did not have that in grad school. In grad school, I had to go seek out my peer network by looking at other departments. Whereas with this, it was kind of just made for me. And um, UW-Madison has a really strong postdoctoral network built in. And so there were, there were quite a few postdocs at the Wasteman Center. And so we started, you know, having like some writing groups or lunches together. And so I, again, was very lucky that I was able to form friendships, but also people who the T32 at Wasteman is focused on um, neurodevelopmental disabilities. And so the people that I was doing the postdoc with, none of them had the same educational background that I did, but they all were coming at questions related to quality of life and individuals with developmental disabilities kind of through this shared common goal. And so we could talk about, you know, our work and 
grants and publications and things like this. And yet I could also talk to them about, you know, moving as a single woman and navigating that role. So I was very lucky that there was one built in through the T32, but then also there were so many other postdocs who were hungry for these peer networks that um, were already at the Wasteland Center. You know, I think um, your story is probably very similar to many of the stories of people venturing off to postdocs and, you know, it takes bravery, confidence, you know, all of these really important skills because you're moving. And I know that uh, you had such a strong peer support system that you were moving from too, yeah. that to start this new journey. Um, but you brought up something that I think is so important is that, you know, we've talked about kind of interprofessional um, peer support models. And, and we all agree that that's super important, but talking about, you know, as we shift from graduate school to either this new clinical setting or a postdoc experience, we are now in a peer support model with people with very different backgrounds. So that foundational thing that kind of united the, the three of us, as well as Tiffany, it is gone, you know? And so you have to find the new way in which you have that foundation and how you relate. And, and for you, it will, was the Weissman Center. Um, but I also think in losing that background too, you have the opportunity to create a more diverse and a more potentially unique peer support system that you would maybe not have had the opportunity to if you, you know, didn't do a postdoc or stayed where you were. So I think, you know, you're building now a new peer support system that is now like a layering cake on top of this great foundation you had. Um, so now while I talk about cake, I'm going to send it <laughs> to, to Jill to add to that. So my postdoc was also um, a T32 uh, NIH um, training grant. So similar to Audra in that way, um, but a little bit different in terms of like the, um, the structure of like how many postdocs were brought in and you know what it looked like over time. Um, so I moved to Indiana, um, newly married, so not alone, but like navigating um, that. Um, and the training grant um, at Indiana that I was part of was really large. Um, and it was mostly comprised of people um, in psychology, um, which of course I was used to from Kansas interacting, um, you know, taking lots of psychology classes. Audra's the, you know, has the psychology degree. So that was like familiar territory to me. Um, we had the, you know, we came together every Friday for a lab meeting to hear different people give talks. That was always um, preceded by a Friday lunch, which was really fun somewhere out in Bloomington. Um, and so that was great. Um, and I really enjoyed that time on Fridays throughout my postdoc, but those were not the people um, who I saw on a daily basis um, working on my research. So that part was a little bit tricky for me. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I spent my time in Judy Garrett's learnability lab um, in the speech and hearing department at Indiana University. So I didn't see any of the people on the T32, like Monday through Thursday. And so my network became the lab and it was almost 
almost exclusively the lab. So there weren't any other postdocs in the building at the time that I was working in. And so I, you know, I got really close to the lab manager and the master's students and the undergrads that were working on the project. Um, and that was kind of fun because there was just a lot of variety in terms of where we were all at in our different stages in our career. So I felt like there was a lot of like mutual mentoring going on, you know, as a postdoc, I could kind of like mentor the master students and the undergrads, but they in turn listened to countless practice job talks. And it was just like this tight little family. Um, so that, yeah, so it was a little, a little bit different from the experience um, of Audra's T32. Great. Um, yeah. So similarly, I moved from Kansas to Boston, um, also as a newly married human. And uh, so we, and something also that Jill didn't mention is another peer support system um, that didn't go with you was your, your significant other um, or, yes. or wait, was he there first? I don't know. He remember. was there first, actually. Oh, yeah. He was so there first. My, my newly acquired husband. Gosh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, my newly acquired husband went to Indiana, um, like six months ahead of me. So, um, yeah, that was tricky too. And, you know, did that obviously for me, um, because there wasn't really anything else for him going on in Indiana. So yeah, that was a, that was a transition for us as well. Right. So, um, I, I'll, Alternatively, I moved to Boston and then six months later, my husband joined me. So I had six months where, and I did my postdoc at um, Brigham and Women, Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. So it was a joint appointment and um, I was the only postdoc in newborn medicine. So, you know, this experience for having a postdoc in their unit was new um, and, you know, didn't really know many people in Boston, was there by myself. And similarly, to your experience, Jill, like my peer support became the lab. So I was the mo most senior person in the lab. And then um, all the, the RAs who were working um, in the lab, you know, were my peer support system and mainly the main people I knew in this new state. So, um, you know, and that was an experience for me where, you know, while I really enjoyed the people, my, my newfound peer support system, I did find that, you know, since they were quite junior and some of them were even undergrad, um, I didn't, I, I was definitely seeking more of, um, more communication or, or interaction with people at the same age and stage as I was just because I, I really wanted to, um, share some of the experiences that I was having. So, um, I actually joined the postdoc organization at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School and, and became a member of that organization, which then really catapulted um, me into a group of like postdocs that were indeed at the Brigham, but just hard to find, right? So we were able to meet along common professional development. There would be happy hours and things like that. And I made a few really good friends who I'm still really close with today, but I feel like um, a similar scenario where we've talked about if that peer support isn't there, how could you seek it? And when you go to seek it, I think it's really nice because often when you seek it, you're either being innovative and creating a new system, or you're getting a leadership opportunity that also is a win-win. So in that scenario, you know, I could put on my CV that I was part of, you know, the leadership of the postdoc organization. Um, so that was something that I thought was 
was really important. Um, all right, so then after postdoc, uh, the three of us ventured into tenure track positions. So what are some innovative peer support systems that you've been part of while on the tenure track at your respective university? Jill, would you like to start? Sure. Um, I actually don't know that I was part of anything that one would consider innovative, <laughs> um, but I certainly had many informal, again, peer support systems, um, lots of little informal groups. So, um, you know, one thing that I got involved in pretty quickly, and I don't even know how it started, was a writing group um, with some other assistant professors, not in my department though. Um, so they were in um, psychology and linguistics here at UMass. And um, that was great because, I mean, I think, you know, finding time to write when you're a new assistant professor seems like the hardest thing in the world because like now you have to do all the other things that come along with being an assistant professor that you never knew you had to do. And so, you know, that was just sort of a good network. Not only were we coming together for dedicated time to write, but we could kind of just talk about what it's like to be assistant professors. And we were all at really similar um, stages where we had started just within like, you know, a year of each other or whatever. Um, so I had that. I had another writing group that is fabulous. One of the many reasons I love my own department here um, is that we have a writing group among faculty um, and it didn't start right away, um, but it started sometime when I was an assistant professor and it's just anyone who wants to come and write off campus um, can do that. And every semester we start, we pick a day of the week and we're like, this is when we're going to go to, you know, a coffee shop or we're going to spend a day um, at one of the other colleges, libraries in the area. Um, and, you know, we kind of first start out by just talking about like what everybody's working on in terms of their writing, but we have lunch together, um, you know, in the middle of the day. And it just feels like a really comfortable scenario. And so I, I consider that to be a peer, like a, a peer network within my bigger network at, in my department. Um, I also received so much informal mentoring that I also think is a form of peer support in my department from senior faculty that really spans, you know, teaching research and service and, you know, the um, mentoring and advice I was given was really instrumental in helping me know, you know, what I should say yes to, um, what I should say no to, um, reading drafts of unfunded grants, um, you know, talking about what it feels like after you find out that your grant isn't funded and how you recover from that. And um, so again, like I think lots of assistant professors have that, those types of experiences, um, but they're all really informal. You know, it was nothing innovative, like nothing crazy and out of the box, but just, you know, stuff right, right in, in my home department. Um, that being said, that Kansas peer network that we developed several years prior on the side still continued to support me in a lot of other ways um, that these other groups couldn't because what was going on on the side of the, you know, working toward tenure as an assistant professor is becoming a mother. And many of us did that at the same time from our Kansas group. So um, many of us had kids at the same time. And, and of course, like integrating parenthood into assistant professor life is is a lot. Um, and so I was really grateful for the peer network that I had built several years prior um, to really kind of like swoop in and, and support me in those ways. 
and Jill, how would, did you maintain that original peer mentorship throughout this journey? Texts, <laughs> you know, innovative things. You're like TikTok. Text messaging, Facebook. <laughs> I mean, really. So I, I mean, Emily, one thing you didn't mention about your postdoc journey is that don't worry, it's not bad. The second year of your postdoc coincided with me, right? Moving to Massachusetts. Was that the time? That is right. So, and then, and then actually Tiffany, and Tiffany Tiffany came came, Did she came out? She, it was me, you, then Tiffany. And and Tiffany. Yeah. So we had this like Jayhawk descend, like all these Jayhawks descend upon Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah. Um, and so pretty quickly we like reinvigorated that, um, you know, cause we, we could physically see each other in like, you know, close, right. we were close proximity to one another. Um, but we all kept in touch with each other. I mean, Audra and I text each other 800 times a day, every day. My husband is like, did you talk to Audra today? I'm like, of course I talked to Audra. Like, obviously. What? I mean, what kind of question is that? <laughs> um, so yeah, like nothing innovative. It's just like, we were such a tight knit group that we were friends. I think it comes down to that, right? Like you mm-hmm. found the people, um, and it's built on friendships that you want to keep, you know, they're helping you along your career path, but at the end of the day, you're still friends. And if you didn't have that career, um, exactly. if you changed, you know, if I became a paleontologist, I have no idea why I chose that, but if I did, um, you all would still be my peer network. I am, I'm pretty sure of it. And because we're a similar, I was going to say also just to add to that, because we're all in this similar discipline, we get to go to similar conferences. So Asha, I mean, I feel so lucky that I get to go to this awesome conference every year, but I also get to see my peer network there. And, um, you know, for many speech pathologists attend the conference as well, and they get to have um, an opportunity to reconnect with people from graduate school. And so, you know, maybe at your statewide conference level, if your, um, you know, school or hospital allows, you know, pays for professional development and you get the opportunity to travel to these conferences, that can be an awesome way to, you know, rekindle these peer networks that you're not getting to see in person all the time anymore. Yeah. You know, one of the things I love that our clinic director does here at UMass is she like somehow um, keeps our graduating um, cohorts of like SLP students connected to each other. So it's like, you know, they're all leaving UMass, um, but she'll like invite them back together like a year later to talk about, you know, what are you doing? How is the CF? Um, And then she invites like our current graduate students to hop in and listen to that. And that Mm -hmm. is building that peer support network. It's like, you know, here are these SLPs all over the country. Some of them are in schools, some of them are in hospitals, Um, but they're still coming together to support each other and to support, you know, people who are coming up through our master's program. So Audra, have you had um, other peer support experiences while uh, while on the tenure track? Yeah, so mine've been pretty similar to Jill's. Um, So my first year at UW-Madison on the tenure track, I went to a talk by the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. They came and visited UW-Madison and gave this awesome talk that was, you know, don't like helping us all talk about how many of us felt imposter syndrome and the importance of daily writing. 
And while I was there, I happened to be sitting next to someone who was also an assistant professor, but in the psychology department. So we started talking. And one of the things that this, um, that was recommended in the talk was to form a writing group. And so she said, you know, I know a couple other new professors that are in different departments. Maybe I can reach out to them and see if we can form some sort of group. And so it ended up being four women and we all had a background in psychology, but we were in different departments on campus. And so that was awesome because we knew kind of, uh, background of what each other's research was about, but yet we had really different research interests and they became and are some of my dearest friends here at UW-Madison. Not only did we support each other through going through the tenure process, which is a tough process, um, but we also were able to support each other through many different life transitions And the thing I really loved about this group was that they weren't in my department. So my department, when I came on, was very top heavy. Um, There was one other assistant professor and she went through tenure, I think a year or two after I joined the faculty. So it was just me as an assistant professor. And my department has been amazing and so supportive. And I, Susan Ellis Weismer was my tenure mentor and she is phenomenal. She was awesome about, like Jill said, reading grant proposals and things like that. But it was also really nice to be able to go to this group of women and be like, I'm struggling with this. And I didn't have the pressure of them being in my department. You know, it just felt like this very safe space. And that was a fantastic group. And we were all in different life stages. One person had a stepdaughter who was a teenager and one person didn't have children. And I had my babies on the tenure clock. And so it was just, but they all, but yet we all came at this lens of like, we're women in academia, we're supporting each other and we're helping each other navigate this process. And I am forever grateful for that. And it's interesting too, because, um, you know, it started off as this writing group, but it wasn't necessarily only about writing. I mean, I think writing groups can be fantastic. They can also be a little tricky though, because, you know, carving out that dedicated time for writing and then you're there and you're talking about other things. And so I think you have to be kind of careful with the writing groups. Um, but they, they just turned out to be this phenomenal group and we've, you know, been able to celebrate each other's wins, but also, you know, help each other through some of the harder times, because another thing is that our jobs aren't all of us. Right. And so life challenges happen to everyone. And, the four of us experienced those life challenges. And for each person, it was very different. And we were able to support each other along the way, which was fantastic. Um, And so that was really the best one for me. I mean, I definitely have been lucky that the Wasteman Center is this interdisciplinary center. And so there are so many people who do similar work to what I do. And so I've kind of been able to build in these peer networks at the center as well with, um, you know, people who are at similar, maybe have similar research interests or at similar life stages. Cause I think an important piece of the peer mentorship for me was just navigating motherhood and what that means and, you know, um, how to be a good mom and balance what I need to do and get through these years when your babies aren't sleeping and you're, you know, 
maybe you're pumping and you're trying to figure out how to do that while going to a conference. And so that's where these peer networks can just be such an awesome resource. I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, once you're able to be honest and vulnerable and share kind of what you're going through at that stage. And typically, you know, it's the work-life balance. It's, it's more than just, um, the research and, and we know that the three of us can get together and never talk about work, (laughs) which is, which is nice and a good, a good release. It's healthy. healthy. Right. It is. And I will tell you that like my partner, he'll be like, Oh, it's so nice when we can get together with your colleagues or your friends. And we don't just have to talk about research that we can talk about so many other things because my job is an important part of my life, but it's not who I am. I, I no. really want to, and I try to talk about that with my students and my postdoc that like our job isn't, I mean, maybe if that's what you choose and you know, your job is what fulfills you and that's where you want to put all your energy and efforts then that is a wonderful choice. And for me, I wanted to have kids and, and listen to podcasts, like see, hear, speak and (laughs) run, even though I'm slow and do yoga and, and live my life Mm -hmm. outside of my job as well. And, um, finding a peer network that would celebrate that and help me live that and not make me feel bad about it was important to me. And yeah, I don't, I think um, that's like the part you don't learn in grad school, right? Because when you're in grad school, no matter what kind of graduate school you're going through, the focus is, you know, to become a professional and then you become a professional and you're like, oh, but I, I kind of am interested in some non-professional things too. And so you feel this like push and pull. It's like, I want to be my best professional self, but I also, you know, want to do yoga on the weekend because that makes me feel happy and it, you know, rejuvenates me to go to work on Monday or whatever. Absolutely. And I think too, when you're able, like when I was working clinically, I would share resources or therapies or just different techniques that have worked for me that maybe others hadn't tried, or I'd reach out to colleagues being like, Oh, uh, I'm really having difficulty with this kid. What can I do? And I think, you know, those peer supports are still, um, are, are like such an important gift and a lifeline to help attain some of, um, the goals for various clients too. Um, so something I was going to add on the tenure track that um, is a little bit innovative, but also um, kind of fulfilled a lot of the peer support uh, goals that I was having during during the tenure track. So with a colleague at Northeastern, we created this group called Mastermind. So the objective of this Mastermind group, and it's modeled from the business world, and um, you know, similar to themes we've discussed, is to to you know, look outside, uh, you know, your discipline for different mentoring techniques. Um, so the goal of the mastermind group was to address the lack of mentorship available for female assistant professors in STEM fields. Uh, we specifically addressed two mentorship gaps. One was the need for non-hierarchical, so junior to junior mentorship outside of traditionally hierarchical, so senior to junior assigned faculty partnerships and the lack of support for women leading large active research labs. So in this mastermind group, we would meet once a month. And, you know, I also had writing groups, which were some of the shared people, some different people, but um, to be in the mastermind group. And again, you can create a group like this based on, 
you know, any criteria that you see fit, but our criteria was that you had to lead a large active research lab. Um, so we would meet typically once a month and have guest speakers. So different people throughout the university where we could showcase this, this innovative mentorship group, but also gain insights. So how could we move up in the leadership role at Northeastern or how could we, you know, I, like work-life balance type themes. Um, so not only did it give us opportunities to meet and interact with new people potentially uh, at, on campus, it also allowed us to have, you know, this really strong foundation among us. So when we weren't meeting to um, have a guest speaker or read a book or whatever we would do, we would often just exchange everyone like pass the aims to the left, you know, and we'd look at um, almost like a speed dating with people's aims. Um, and, you know, through our time as mastermind, I think, you know, we were just writing our final report. We also did a writing retreat where we went uh, and all wrote together for a weekend. And it was so fun. Um, and just really nice. Cause again, most of these people aren't in your discipline. And I think when you're working and supporting um, people who aren't in your discipline, you also get to learn about their science, um, their lifestyle, of course. But when you learn about their science, there's so many rich, rich ways in which you can collaborate. And I think, um, you know, I think that's so exciting um, for all of us where we want to be working um, really interprofessionally and thinking outside the box on different problems that we aim to seek. And I think this transcends into clinical settings where, you know, if your peer support is like the PT and OT and you're the SLP, um, you're learning so much that you can implement into your sessions. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's so powerful for not only you as the clinician, but also for the, the clients that you're serving. Um, and I think we all talked about the work-life balance and the peer support. So, you know, I think a big piece on it on the tenure track is having peers that encourage you to potentially say no to things or, or what do you say yes to when, you know, we're all trying to carve out that time at home or with our various hobbies, you know, uh, we can't do everything nor do we want to. And I think peers um, give that support to say, this is what you can say no to and when. Mm -hmm. All right. So the last uh, phase of our journey is post-tenure. So we're all fairly recently tenured. Um, and so the question is, how has peer support changed? What do you, what do you think? Well, I think in some ways it hasn't. It's always, because it's always been evolving and growing. I do think that now, I mean, you always feel busy, right? In your life. Um, I do feel pretty busy right now though, with kids and they're in school, well, one of them's in school and managing that. And of course the pandemic is a whole, whole other thing, but more responsibilities at work too, in terms of leadership. And so now I don't have the same time that I did before to meet regularly with my peer networks. And I miss that, but yet I can still rely on them and talk to them and the needs of our conversations have changed. So now it's like, well, how are you navigating this part of our life? How are you still keeping up with, you know, getting your papers out while you're mentoring students or helping them navigate the job market and things like that. And so 
I still feel so supported in my department by the senior members of my department. And they're great about talking with me about that. But it's really nice to talk to my peers at UW-Madison and then nationwide, all of you, the Jayhawk Network, about how to navigate this in this new phase. Because the post-tenure life is really different than the pre-tenure life, just like the postdoc was different than graduate school, just like a PhD is different than a master's program. And so the needs have changed in terms of the content, but I feel like it's just always evolving. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that, Audra. Um, Yeah, that's completely my experience now. I have to say that um, it's kind of nice, like in my, with my department peer support, you know, I talked about what I received, you know, getting to the point of getting through tenure, but it was like, once I got tenure, um, it's, it's new advice. And, and I love it like that. My department support didn't go away. It's like, okay, so now let's talk about what you need to get to the next level of promotion. And as you're both saying, like, does it make sense to say yes to that now? Or is that something that you can pass on? Um, one of the other things that is new for me, however, that I want to talk about it because this, I feel like is innovative. I didn't have anything innovative pre-tenure, um, but post-tenure, I feel like um, I have this opportunity for a widening peer support network, um, and I'm really excited about it. So I was asked to be a part of a mutual mentoring grant with six other women um, here at UMass. So one of those women is actually in my department, but all the rest are from different departments within the School of Public Health and Health Sciences. So there's you know pe- people in environmental health and epidemiology, kinesiology. But one thing that we all have in common is that we are mid-career and that we are all in various leadership positions um, within our departments and the university. And so this mentoring grant that we have, it's called Supporting Mid-Career Female Leaders. And the point is to kind of like help us, you know, help support each other as we navigate leadership opportunities within the university while we are also mid-career. So thinking about how to get to that next step of moving from associate professor to full professor. And um, the range of experiences is is pretty different in this small group. So I'm the newest um, tenured person in the group. Um, Two people were just promoted to full professor um, this summer. And so I'm I'm just really excited about this opportunity to meet with people who don't study child language. Um, but yet I am confident that, you know, my research skills are probably going to continue to blossom, um, as a result of being in that group. And then also I'm hoping that, you know, my opportunities for leadership and the skills that might be required for that will also blossom. So just kind of, you know, stepping into this new phase of, of my career. Sounds really cool. I'll have to keep us updated on how that goes. Um, <laughs> the, the one final bit I want to say before we, we, we move to our last questions, because we're in the final few minutes, um, is that the other thing I've, I've started doing, um, you know, when I go to conferences or meet new people or engage on different, um, like I would say national and international conference committees, et cetera, you know, I've become Facebook friends with a lot of, I would say those peers. And I think that is something that um, has been so nice to see the human, like, so you might go to a conference and hear a keynote or an experience or or some sort of uh, 
interaction or presentation from an amazing researcher. And then if you're friends on Facebook, you get to see the rest of their lives. So I think, you know, getting the full human, like, how are your kids? Oh my gosh, you just had a baby. This is so cool. And like, you know, I think that allows for a level of peer support network that wasn't possible. I think maybe like when we were first starting off, like I would have never, you know, Facebook friended a professor or, you know, any, anything like that. But I think, um, you know, it's really nice to see like colleagues, daughters who got married or, you know, anything like that. And I think it's, uh, it just adds a richness to our, our journey. Um, and not saying obviously we need to be Facebook friends with everybody, but um, just sharing that part of your life or whether it's pictures with colleagues or colloquially, I think adds to the peer support. All right, so we are toward the end. I'm going to ask you both the last two questions for the See, Hear, Speak podcast. First is what are you working on now that you are most excited about? And I anticipate that it might be the same potential, <laughs> really exciting projects that you mo by most likely will share. So let me know what that is. Do you want to well, say it? Speaking of peer support <laughs> and peer networks, <laughs> Jill and I have... Uh, been, you know, talking about collaborating for a long time and have done a few smaller collaborative projects, but we decided to write a grant and it was recently, well, it, we found out it's going to be funded. First. Yes. <laughs> Yay. So I think I'm, I think that's probably the thing that we're most excited about. It's going to be brand new and it's a project that's um, looking at language and cognitive development and kids with developmental language disorder, as well as um, kids with fragile X syndrome. So that is a very fun and exciting project. And I feel so lucky to get to do it with my best friend. It's been a lot of fun to just be able to call her up and say, Hey, what do you think about adding this measure or totally about this? So and I was thinking too, it was funny. I called her the other day to ask her a question about the grant and I had my kids in the car and they were fighting over a snack. And I thought, well, this is my life, right? So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, hands down, that is obviously what I'm most excited about too. And as Audra said, we've been cultivating this idea in our minds. I mean, probably since the first year on the tenure track and, um, it took a long time, but here we are. And I think we're both really excited to see, um, where it's going. And I think it's just one little stepping stone to, to many other great things. That is so exciting. And, um, you know, I think in not all cases, peer support models turn into a funded R01. So congrats <laughs> to you ladies. And, um, I know as someone who is watching this grant from the outside. I'm so excited to see all the amazing discoveries that you will find with these really interesting patient populations. And really, you guys really span different disciplines. So I think this is super exciting and innovative and unique, and I can't wait to watch it develop. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite book from childhood or now, Audra? Well, I have an almost three-year-old. He's going to be three August 4th. And Mr. Hank's favorite books right now are the Little Blue Truck series. So Little Blue Truck, Little Blue Truck, Good Night, Little Blue Truck, Springtime. There's a lot of them. Little Blue Truck goes mm -hmm. to the city and we love them. I mean, he loves trucks, but they're always a fun message and they're just so engaging and 
there's a lot of different ones too. So we don't have to read the exact same book every night. So loving the little blue truck series. That's awesome. And I unfortunately cannot say that I've read that series. So you have given me some weekend reading. (laughs) Thank you, Audra. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, Jill, how about you? Okay. I am sorry. I have to give three, but I'll keep it brief. Um, anything by Mo Willems. So Piggy and Gerald pigeon books, my kids, both of them absolutely love Mo Willems. Um, my daughter is really into Amelia Bedelia chapter books right now with like from a, as a language nerd, they are amazing because of course, Amelia Bedelia misunderstands various figures of speech and, you know, takes words very literally. And so we always, you know, laugh a lot about that, but the favorite one, which I think is like the perfect capstone to this idea of peer support is this really beautiful picture book um, by Philip Steed called A Sick Day for Amos McGee. Um, And we were given it as a gift from my mother-in-law and it is the sweetest story about friendship and support. And, um, you know, it's appropriate for like ages three through five, I would say. Um, But it's really great. If you haven't checked it out, you should. Well, I more weekend reading for me. Yeah. All right. So (laughs) thank you both so very much for your time and your insights on peer support. And we really look forward to hearing about the amazing research project as it unfolds and um, to hear more about all of the different uh, exciting projects, both at work and at home and, you know, full human scope that are, are going to be exciting in the future. So uh, really great to see you as always, because you're part of my peer support. So um, thank you so much. And that is it. Thanks, Thanks Emily. Emily. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Tiffany. Check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you making the world a better place by helping one child at a time.